Welcome to episode four of Books That Make Us Better. We are in the midst of juggling different vacations throughout this summer, so this podcast had to be edited on the road. Nonetheless, let's dive back in to Glennon Doyle's Untamed. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An Alpha Media Podcast. So what about attendance, Lydia? In attendance... Glennon is talking to her friend Liz. Um, Liz does not have children. So Glennon feels like she's a good gauge for advice. So she's just telling her how she's struggling and, you know, um, she doesn't feel like she's doing the right thing and that she's just hurting her kids. Their life is chaotic and all upside down. And so Liz compares her life and what's happening to being on a plane and Glennon's the attendant kids are the passengers and what happens when a plane hits turbulence it's the flight attendant's job to keep everyone calm and collected and let them know that it will all be okay that it might be rough and choppy for a little bit but everything will be fine and but what gets me is she's talking to another friend about this same thing and um oh and liz tells her just keep serving the freaking peanuts glennon so that's kind of glennon's mantra is just keep serving the peanuts let it just we'll get through this and another friend tells her uh yeah but planes crash and turbulence can take down planes and like what happens if what your family's going through right now is actually going to crash your family and then glennon has a story about another person she knows who her teenage daughter uh, is diagnosed with cancer and the mom can't really handle that. And so she starts drinking and using drugs. And then when her daughter passes away, she's not even there. She's not an active person in her daughter's life, nor is she there for her other children. And Glennon thinks about um, when that, if that mother were to ever just stop and be still and really take a look at her life and what's happened to it and where she is, just how awful and painful that might be. And she ends it with saying that whether we're falling or flying, we're going to take care of each other through the whole damn ride. And that is her definition of family. And uh, yeah, I, I have to say like, and I don't, I don't mean this to be judgy and I hope that doesn't come off judgy. It's just because I can't wrap my head around this idea, but I get, needing coping skills if your child were really ill. But I just, I can't imagine like not being there for my child and being so wrapped up in something else. And I don't mean that to be judgy. It's just, I just can't, I'm not there. That, was, with that. that part was so hard for me to hear yeah. and then read again. I just thought, you know, she, she says it's so tragic, but it absolutely so tragic. Like, can, I just can't imagine like, this is a human that I carried and cared for and everything and how can you and then you're losing them like I would want to spend every last moment and every last moment yeah also it'd be horrible yeah and I you know that child would be going through something horrific as well and they no longer have their mom now because the mom is unable to process it herself I that that just broke my heart. Yeah. I think though the one of the main points Glennon's making here though is that there's a difference between turbulence and the crash. 
because I think that there's a lot of people out there that experience the turbulence and then turn it in. Maybe they are not turning it into a crash, but you know, by their own actions can make things worse than they actually are. Yeah. Right. So there's a difference between something that is hard, but not an issue. So that would be turbulence, right? Like turbulence, you're on a plane and the plane shakes and it's scary and it sucks and it feels unnerving, but like you get through it, that you get out of the turbulence and, and it's okay. But then when you get something like a daughter that's dying of cancer, that's a different story. That's not the turbulence. That is something that could potentially, uh, you know, be a life safe, life changing crash. So while I agree that that was really hard to read and like super gut-wrenching and I could not even imagine not being with Liam or around Liam going through something difficult and scary, I, I feel like the overall point she was making is like, here's an example of the turbulence, but here's an example of a crash. Yes. But yeah. it's all gut-wrenching. I mean, really. Yeah. yeah. And I don't yeah. think, and I don't think it's anybody's, I, I like that her friend gave her some advice on like, you know, keep calm so everyone else knows what to do. But also, that's not really that great of advice. Like, it's okay, but also feel the emotions. Because if it's going to be hard, if it is hard, then that's okay. Like, you can feel whatever you need to feel at that moment. If if the feeling you need to feel is anger at that moment, then you should feel it. I don't think you need to sugarcoat everything for your kids. And I, I don't think Glennon's ever said that, you know, about sugarcoating right. things. But I know that there are some people who are, you know, say like they don't want to be angry in front of their kids. And I think, why? Well, they cry a, in front of their kids. Yeah, that's yeah. a human emotion. Yeah, You should definitely experience those things in front of your children because then they understand like, you know, and if you, right, if you react wrongly, you can say, you know, I'm sorry I reacted that way. This is what I was feeling whatever. So Mm -hmm. I, two things on that one, I have not free, I mean, not frequently, not, not frequently, but when I mess up, I am a parent that believes in apologizing to my child. And there are times that Liam has, you know, I am in a bad mood for whatever reason. And I get snippy and, you know, like 10 minutes later, I will go up to him and say, Hey, I, you know what? I was out of line. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I, you know, had this, this, and this happen today. And I'm just not in the best mood or whatever. But also I see just a slight contradiction here in some of these other chapters where Glennon, and she probably didn't even mean this as a contradiction, but she talks about showing our, you know, leading our kids to the fire and saying, you are this brave, you are fireproof. But then also this advice of like, keep serving the peanuts. Like I, that's confusing to me. Yeah. I I wonder, I wonder if she was just trying to, maybe it was just meant to be like another metaphor. I'm not sure, but I think, yeah, well, you can, you can help and remain calm in situations, especially if like, if the situation warrants it, if it's not that big of a deal. And sometimes, you know, frontal lobe development takes some time and the kids are maybe not quite there yet. If you remain calm, then they remain calm, you know, especially if it's something that should be calm. But I understand also feeling emotions and allowing your children to see that. So possibly it's like, take this with a grain of salt. I'm not sure. Damn it. This is another one of those situational chapters. Mm-hmm. How about memos? Memos was me, I believe. Yep. It's Jesse. I'm always trying to take your chapters, Jesse. I know. Let me have, let me have my time. Please. You can do it. I'm, it's your time to um, shine. Be a, a better chapter for, and not that it doesn't suit me, but the chapter, um, <clears throat> Go talks through the different um, like 
hypothetical memos that you receive after having a child. And so she uh, paints the picture of what like her grandmother would have received as a memo after having her baby. And she said, you know, here's the baby, take it home, let it grow, let it speak when spoken to, carry on with your lives. And then she describes the memo that her mother received, which, you know, was changed into more of what that generation viewed as parenting. And then it goes into the memo that she received, again, hypothetical. Um, and it goes into this big, long detail about, you know, protecting and sheltering and obsessing um, over your child. And Glennon goes throughout this section, kind of painting a picture, but then criticizing this new style or new type of parenting where children are very sheltered um, and shielded and, uh, and obsessed over by their parents. And the way she sees it is that children, you know, need to experience life and they need to experience pain and failure in order to grow and in order to be human, to have those human emotions. And they need to be strong enough to struggle. And if they never struggle, because as parents, we protected them from that struggle, then we see issues arising um, in them as they become, you know, young adults um, and older adults. And so to be a good parent, um, one must let their child experience everything, but also be nearby to be able to reassure and provide support. So that was the gist of memos. She also leaves a new memo for um, those having babies now. And her new memo is, here's your baby. Love her at home, at the polls, in the streets. Let everything happen to her. Be near. Jesse. I'm interested to know your thoughts on this because I feel like you see kids that are experiencing all of the life. I do. I, I see a lot of what she's experiencing. Like when I read this memo, well, the, my first thought was when she reads the memo or the mom, her mother's memo and it talks about drinking tab before four o'clock and wine coolers after. I was like, man, Sherry used to hammer them wine coolers. <laughs> And so oh my gosh! My mom got this memo. Um, <laughs> and one and because she's a very uh, lightweight. But um, and then as I started to read the memo that Glennon said she received, I was like, oh my gosh! I do see a lot of these things in youth. And again, I I deal with uh, young adults, uh, those kind of coming of age, and so I see these things. And and there is a there is a vast spectrum. Like there are some that I think would definitely fit into this category, but then there are some that just like experience everything, but no one's near. And so then it's like, oh my gosh, they, it's, it is kind of just fascinating and terrorizing and heartbreaking, like every single day, like all the things you see. Uh, that would break me. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know. Nope. This is, that was not the job for me. <laughs> Megan, stick with plants. Plants and marketing. I'll just deal with the parents. Yeah, your eyes just started to shine when you talked about that red oak. So just stick with it. I'm good. Yeah. Don't put me in a teaching position, especially with children. See a lot. I, I think I see a lot on social media and I'm I'm not saying that I I think I have a different perspective just from working with youth, but in the end of this section or this chapter, she says that she cannot imagine that there ever been a more overparented and underprotected generation. Yeah. You know, that kind of leads perfectly. I think this is a really good segue to go into the next chapter when we talk about overparented but underprotected because the next chapter which is called Poems talks about her son having a cell phone. And I just this is such a yucky chapter to me because it is of my utmost importance 
to make sure that Liam is physically safe 100% of the time. And it wasn't that long ago that I saw this post on Facebook that was like, you know, a lot of times when you send a child over to someone's house, you know one of the parents, but you might not necessarily know both of the parents. And so you're almost sending kids into these situations that they may or may not know how to handle. And keeping that in the forefront of my mind, I have really, really had to resist the urge to give my son a cell phone. And like, I know a lot of nasty comes with it, but I just want him safe all the time. And I want to be reachable. Uh, but in, in the chapter poems, Glennon talks about giving her son Chase a cell phone and how she slowly saw him like morph into the cell phone because it was easier to be a kid in the cell phone than it was to be in his own skin. And she said, but she found herself, or I will just quote it, but I found myself worrying most that when we hand our children phones, we steal their boredom from them. As a result, we are raising a generation of writers who will never start writing, artists who will never start doodling, chefs who will never make a mess in the kitchen, athletes who will never kick a ball against a wall, musicians who will never pick up their aunt's guitar and start strumming. So this is so yucky for me because I want my son to be safe all of the time. And so when I think about all of the downsides of cell phones, it just makes me feel so yucky. But then she, you know, goes on to talk to him about how when she has always made decisions for him, she's realized that they were mistakes in hindsight, not necessarily at the time. But this was kind of the one decision that she felt like she was sitting in and kind of making a mistake in the meantime, because all of his friends had cell phones. Uh, so he decided, you know, a lot of the kids decided not to, to be on social media. And uh, she said, he said he wants, oh, she talks about Ed Sheeran giving up his phone. And Ed Sheeran said that he wants to create things instead of looking at things other people have created. He wants to see a world through his own eyes instead of through a screen. And so, you know, she said, it's not really a story about phones. This is a story about knowing. Brave parenting is listening to the knowing ours and our children's. It's doing what's true and beautiful for our child, no matter how countercultural it seems. It's about how we know what our children need and we don't pretend not to know. So mm -hmm. I feel so completely hung up and yucky about this chapter that I don't even know what to say about it. I, you know, personally, I liked that when she confronted the fact of feeling like this was a bad decision with Chase, he would, he said, you know, that he felt the same, that he, he felt like being on social media or whatever wasn't really making him happy. And he feels like he has to check it. He has this urge to check it. And he's like, I don't like it controls his life. And he doesn't want to be like that. And, you know, in the end, he and Tish both decided to quit social media. And I thought, that's great, because I, I even me as a grown adult, I have an issue with navigating social media without you know, seeing red sometimes, you know, you really have to, I don't know, curate what you see so that you're not angry about what somebody else has posted. Um, so just, I don't know, put that, magnify that with your hormones going haywire as a growing human. And I just don't think that that's a good combination. So I love that all she needed to do was, you know, talk to him about it. And he 
was able to have the wherewithal to know that it's not like it wasn't good for him and to give it up. So, you know, while it might make you feel yucky, we have to give our kids credit where credit's due because I think a lot of them are wiser than we think they are. Oh, shit. I think Liam would take a cell phone. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, would. Yeah, I definitely this, have oh. what Megan's been talking about at high school, which seems crazy, like that if you gave kids the option um, that they would choose, you know, to just spend their time on social media. It, it is so not that way. Uh, kids would rather spend their time being productive and creating and doing things than being on their phone. But when they aren't engaged, that's their default. So if you're not creating an environment that is engaging, and and sometimes that can, you know, what is engaging to one person might not be engaging to the other, like we strive as teachers to try to set that hook to be engaging to all um, if you're able to do that, they, I, I just, do I have problems with cell phones occasionally? Do I have problems with cell phones a lot? Not at all. They, they want to be engaged. They want to be active and involved. And so I definitely uh, echo what Megan said that like, we need to give credit to them. I think we just provide them sometimes too much time not to be engaged. And then when they're not engaged, that's their default. I think that's pretty valid. That makes sense. Uh, Kayla, I gave, we gave our oldest a cell phone because of the same reasons you are looking at getting one for your son. And, um, and reading this chapter does definitely give me that icky feeling too, because it, it is probably the one parenting choice that I always wonder, like, did I do it too early? And did I mess her up? Did I do something? You know, I, I can track her. So I know where she is. And I can call her. Sometimes she can get a hold of me a little too easily and incessantly if I don't pick up the first time. But <laughs> it's been, it gives me a level of comfort and I've got parental controls on it. I look at her phone all the time. I've given myself comfort level with it that I just, I just have to sit with that decision and be okay with it. Yeah, that's wise. Yeah. I mean, and if like with the parental controls, if you can set boundaries and say, you know, this phone is only meant for texting and calling. Right. Then and she, during the school year, it turns off, it, it locks at like nine o'clock until, you know, in the morning and mm -hmm. uh, to try to, so she's not up all night long or something. Right. I know sometimes I do that with my phone. So, <laughs> you, have to, you know, trying to teach her responsible uses of cell phones. Mm -hmm. Good That's job. Good. Well done. So let's finish this up with the chapter that a lot of us have been everyone's, waiting. Everyone's favorite chapter. To talk so about. So many things marked in this chapter. Same, same. Um, okay, well, then in that case, I'm just going to quickly summarize so that we can all be like, that's so great. <laughs> um, so this chapter is about, it starts off with Glennon very proudly proclaiming how well she's done with her girls and how those girls um, believe themselves to be fully human and equal with the, their male counterparts. And I was like, yes, good job you. Um, and like taking notes. <laughs> um, and then when she, uh, you get about halfway through and she is just confronted with the stark reality of uh, essentially toxic masculinity, um, how boys are expected to behave it's the same we talked about it earlier but it's the same so she is confronted with this image of 
boys and how they react to men and how they react to, you know, not being able to be fully human and being caged and when they're trying to live up to expectations and then just what happens. There was a part that I highlighted, she says, um, about boys. They are not allowed to be whole either. Boys are in cages too. Boys who believe that real men are all powerful will cheat and lie and steal to claim and keep power. Boys who believe that girls exist to validate them will take a woman's rejection as a personal affront to their masculinity. Boys who believe that open, vulnerable connection between men is shameful will violently hate gay boys. Boys who believe that men don't cry will become men who rage. Boys who learn that pain is weakness will die before they ask for help. So she comes to this huge realization that boys are just as caged and tamed as women are, girls are, men are, all of them. And just, you know, in general, how being in America um, specifically, society just drags you down. So she comes to this reality um, and she decides that, you know, she doesn't want her son to feel like he needs to be caged in any way. And so she starts challenging him with his friends and they, you know, like when she picks them up, she'll challenge them with questions that maybe she wouldn't normally have asked that I'm earlier. I think they were like something like, um, who do you think is the loneliest person in your class? Right. So like questions you wouldn't normally even, I mean, even ask in general, but then, you know, after they got past the annoyance of, oh, mom, and then one of these questions, you know, they start talking and, you know, this is a good thing to encourage that kind of banter. But also at the end, she realizes that she's, she's been kind of an accomplice to allowing Chase to, yeah, I guess kind of fall into that masculinity role of like not needing to take care of things. Um, and so Abby points it out to her and she was like, no, but then like, she's realizes that yes, actually she is doing probably what most moms do for their boys and just let them not do as much around the house as the girls do, which is ridiculous. Um, so she, she makes this list for her son Chase and then he doesn't do it. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. I have this big test. And she said, well, no, I'm sorry because I've led you down the wrong path, blah, blah, blah. But I don't care what happens out in the real world. If you don't take care of what's going on around here, um, it's not going to matter. So like be a better human. If you're good around here, if you're good at home and you take care of everything that's going on at home, you're going to be good out there too. So I mean, there's just so much we can talk about, but this is, that's the uh, summary of the chapter. So I don't know. Let's just let's just all go through our favorite parts because there's so many good spots. I one of the parts that I thought was really interesting, and Lydia and I kind of touched on this um, on Facebook earlier today, was the vulnerability between men, but also like men having very strange. And I don't mean strange in a negative way. I mean strange as in I just don't understand like relationships with other men. Yeah. As far as like being able to be open and be vulnerable, like she talks about when a woman has a baby and then the other woman is like, oh my gosh, like how does the baby sleep at night? How are you doing? How are your emotions? How is the baby eating? But then when Craig, her husband went and met with a father who had just had a baby, it was like, well, we talked about sports. Well, how is the baby? I don't know. And how they really don't have this relationship that they talk about anything that's anything. Yeah, it's a little like it's not deep. And I don't know how to like not have conversations like that. <laughs> so, oh, I would have no idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like she ended it with um, 
you know, uh, allowing, like we need to allow those men in our lives to you know, act like, you know, act like we do and have those deep connections with their guy friends or men in their lives. She even talks about though, the one fella that tries to open up and be vulnerable with his wife. And then every time he tries, like the wife is super uncomfortable. And I mean, I feel like, you know, I think back and I wonder, you know, have I have I done that to a guy too? I mean, that's got to be hard when they just feel vulnerable in that moment. And they're and they're giving you a part of themselves that they hide from everybody. And did you just like ruin it for them by, you know, being like, oh, what are you doing? Or telling him to man up or something. I don't know. That that just made me like rethink so many things about mm -hmm. how I react if I see a man upset or something. I just hope that I'm not making them feel like they can't express that. Though I will say the worst thing, one of the like top things that I hate seeing, have you guys ever seen an older gentleman cry? Yes, it's awful mm -hmm. and it breaks my heart. I, I mean, I don't like to see anybody cry, like just for the record. But when it's an older gentleman, oh gosh, that is a special kind of heartbreak. It really is. Yeah. And it's and like a heartbreak that you know you can't even help. Oh, yeah. You're just helpless to that cry. And I think that's also what is awful about it. It is a really good reminder, though, of, of what we need to be teaching our boys, especially because this book is so woman focused and female and girl focused that I think having a chapter for boys is special and important. But, you know, I think even just getting rid of the phrase, like quit crying. Oh gosh, I hate that phrase. I hate that mm -hmm. phrase so much. It And it really is genderless. Like, I don't care if you're saying it to a boy or if you're saying it to a girl, like to tell a child to stop feeling their emotions because you just don't have time for it or you don't know how to deal with it. Oh, it's tiring. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't like, I get that. <laughs> I love that. Jesse. Boys will be good humans. Love it, Jesse. Yeah. That Jesse. is right. I think, yeah, I think there is a part that I highlighted in here about, you know, about the not crying thing, but also just the capabilities um and i highlighted it and it says our boys are born born with great potential for nurturing caring loving and serving let's stop training it out of them and like snaps to that because really they they absolutely uh can do i, I mean pretty much anything we can do so i mean we can do anything they can do they can do anything we can do like why are we why are we trying to tell them that they shouldn't be doing that um yeah i just don't I don't, I don't know, but that really makes me think to Liam's preschool graduation because they had all these kids lined up in front and then they passed the microphone down and each person talked about what they wanted to be when they grew up. And Liam said he wanted to be a dad. Aww. And I've, I guess I've not asked him recently, like now he's going into second grade, but A, I mean, kudos to my husband for, for showing him like how fun and how great it is to be a dad that you would make a five-year-old like strive to be that in their lives. Yes. But also like God bless his little heart for thinking that like when he grows up, I want to nurture and raise someone. Mm -hmm. yes. And that's so great. I'm, I'm glad that like nothing, you know, he saw it from you guys and he isn't like looking at what like society says a dad does. Uh, and yes. on that note, can I please just say the commercial about Alexa? Um, oh. I'm just going to read it because this part. 
Oh man, this one really hit me. Um, so she says the next day I turned on the TV and saw a commercial about a couple who had just become parents. The young mother left the baby with his father to return to work for the first time. The camera followed the father around the house as their Alexa chirped constant reminders that the mother had programmed the night before. Don't forget music class at nine. Don't forget lunch at noon. The bottles in the fridge. You're doing a great job. Viewers were meant to swoon at the sweetness. All I could think was, did this father just arrive on earth? Is he new here? Why does he need minute by minute coaching in order to care for his baby? What did preparation for this day look like for this baby's mother? And I just thought, oh my God. I'm like That's like if I leave for a little bit. Okay. Sometimes I have to write a long note, but it's okay because Rob and I agreed that Cora is his charge and Ira is mine. So <laughs> frankly, he's not had a lot of experience because I'm usually the one caring for that baby. So, but I cannot fathom not being able to just be like, hi, I'm going to leave for a couple hours. I'll be right back and not leaving a note. And it would be okay. It would be all right. How, how is that supposed to be cute? And why Amazon are you telling our children that this is how it should be? Why are you, why is that okay? Why is it that the woman can't go to work and then the man can figure it the fuck out? Why? And there's still the people who say, oh, is he at home babysitting? Like, no, he's being a dad. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I was just going to bring that up. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, (laughs) if you see Keenan get fired, if you want to see him get fired up, ask him if he's babysitting or if, Mm -hmm. like, when I'm not home, if that's what he's doing, because he does not like that. But we're like, we're like when you go, you go out or you're working and people are like, oh, where are the kids? Did you ask the dad that? Did you yeah. ask him where the kids are? No, everyone just assumes dad's at work. Dad's out. Yes. Kids aren't with him. Why? Yes. I Why? ran for chemical. It was lots of questions about like, oh, well, what about the children? Okay. Well, what they about have the father children? Who's more than capable. Under I mean, his eye. Obviously, I'm super in love with him, guys. He's great. Am I I the only one that got night terrors about writing subplans from this chapter? Subplans? Yes, I mean, you probably are, but... (laughs) Reading that section just made me be like, oh, my God, writing subplans. It's just like exactly what that lady had to do, but for her husband to take care of her child. But like, oh, man, it just exhausted me thinking about I just I I got I traveled back in time to not that long ago when I've had to do that. Yeah, the last school year. Does that discourage you from taking time off? Just thinking about writing subplans? I have literally in 10 years of teaching, I've had five like days that I've taken sick and three of them were because I was hospitalized. Other than that, if I am not in a hospital, I am at school. Oh my God. Because sub plans are literally crippling. And Kayla will tell you that too. She's heard about it. Oh, there's been so many times that I'm like, Jesse, you have 12,372 hours of paid time off. Maybe you should like, you know, have a moment for yourself. Not that she's like having a mental breakdown or anything, but she was pretty close to having a mental breakdown. <laughs> I was on the edge. <laughs> she, she was on the edge. And like sub plans legit every time she's like, no, it is nope. literally more work to take time off work than it is to just go and do it. Five, yeah, just oof. I just I got all these like, oh man, it made me sick to my stomach reading it because I was like, oh, sub plans. Sorry, I, I, I don't. And nothing about that chapter was about teaching or sub plans, but that's what I got from it. <laughs> Says I, the teacher. I mean, I think I think that the important point <laughs> is that you're understanding that there's 
this mental load and maybe it's not just for women, but it's, you know, I mean, we all carry this mental load, like we can pass it off. And, and she did say this at the end when she was saying perhaps part of a woman's freeing herself is freeing her partner, her father, her brother, and her son. So true. Like, let's let them, and Hey, Jesse, free your sub. Let her do it. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Just free kidding. I, okay, I don't think that actually correlates here. But <laughs> I think that yeah, we can free them. Let them let them feel what they're meant to feel and you know, allow yeah. it. Yeah, I that is probably the largest takeaway that I took when I um from therapy was that I was carrying everything and she's like you don't have to. You have someone who will do that with you and I just don't like being vulnerable and asking for help so that's my problem but yeah it's yeah. I mean use these people they're there totally um Rob Rob might kick me for saying this but maybe he won't but he said that he wanted um he wanted to get we were talking about tattoos recently while we were on vacation and he said that he might just have to get a flower tattoo and I was like okay and he like told me the specific one and I was like all right, fine. And he said, you know, I just think, you know, because other people, people might think like, that's not very, like a guy can't do that. But like, I, I think I want it. And I was like, Rob, we don't care about that. Just get it. If you want it, just get it. Like, oh. You're a horticulturist, so it's applicable. But even if you weren't a horticulturist and you wanted a fucking flower, get a fucking flower. Sorry, this just got yes. very explicit. No, I agree. And you tell Rob that I wouldn't care if he got a goddamn daisy or a pansy. And I mean the flower. I don't mean the unicorn. No, I would love it. You want glitter? I want a unicorn. Can we have glitter? No, I don't think so. Hmm. But if there was a way to do it, I would fully and 100% support Robin doing that. If we could have glitter tattooed, I would make my arm just a glitter a, one long glitter. Well, I have my next appointment coming up in two weeks. I'll ask for you. Okay. What are you getting? I'm going to finish my quarter sleeve. <gasps> so are you going to Colorado? Uh, well, yeah, but I'm getting it done in Ames. Um, so there's a person named Parker that's going to do it. But my what I have so far is a lot of like paint splashes. Mm-hmm. And you know, watercolory stuff. So he's gonna start with the bird and add like splashing paint to the bird mm. and then finish the paint all the way down pretty my arm. So it. yeah, it should be pretty good. I'm like super looking forward to it, but I will inquire about the glitter. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Books That Make Us Better podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Head on over to our Facebook page, Books That Make Us Better, where you can win a free copy of the next book that we're going to do, which is The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. It was definitely a group consensus. We are all excited to dig in. Head on over to our Facebook page, Books That Make Us Better on Facebook. And that's it for this week. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll talk to you next week.